0: From the Beantown Athletics studio in Boston, this is the Danny Picard Show, Monday, June 5th, 2017. Today's show is presented by Beantown Athletics, your number one source for screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now to get a free quote for your customized apparel. Today's show is also presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com by using my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. At DraftKings, every day is a brand new season, especially during the Major League Baseball season, and it's easy. Just fill out your lineup and follow the action live on your DraftKings app. And it's not just baseball. DraftKings has something for everybody, even golf. That's right, golf. Pick six golfers every weekend and get your golf lineups in by Thursday morning. So what are you waiting for? Go to DraftKings.com right now or download their app and play for free by using my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. Welcome to the show on this Monday morning. Uh, The last time I talked to you, we were giving a little Dunkin' Donuts rant. That was on Friday's podcast because it was National Donut Day on Friday. And in fact, the Dunkin' Donuts rant that we gave wasn't even about the free donuts that they were giving away on National Donut Day. It was about the walk-up window at Dunkin' Donuts that they have at some Dunkies. I know there's one walk-up window in Southie. There's at least one here in Dorchester. But uh, I had a little rant on Friday's podcast about the walk-up window at Dunkin' Donuts. So make sure you go back and listen to that. And after the podcast Friday, I put out a poll on my Twitter account. Follow me at Danny Picard. And the poll read, do you use the outdoor walk-up window at Dunkies? And the options I gave you were either yes or no, I'm not an asshole. 87% voted no, I'm not an asshole. 13% voted yes. And I even think that some of that 13% that voted yes were sarcastic. They were answering this in a sarcastic way. Uh, I don't think most people use the outdoor walk-up window And the 87% that voted no, I'm not an asshole, uh, basically that defends my theory that most people don't use it. And the people that do, well, they are assholes. So uh, that was my rant on Friday. Uh, My producer, Pete Needham, he joined in on that rant the last time we talked to you. He's not in studio with me today. Uh, The boys here in Dorchester, they were celebrating Dot Day yesterday on Sunday and uh, based on some of the pictures and videos that I saw, it looks like they had a good time. Uh, so Pete's not in studio with me today, but the show goes on. I did not go to Dot Day. In fact, I have never been to Dot Day, and I don't think I ever will be. I'm from Southie, born and raised. I've I've just never found the interest in coming over for Dot Day. Uh, and I also worked this weekend as well. I had my weekend radio show on WEEI where I spent most of the time talking Red Sox, where the Red Sox this weekend in Baltimore, they had a four-game series. They split the four-game series with the Orioles, uh, winning the last two games of the series. And now, with the day off today on Monday, uh, the Red Sox begin a three-game series with the New York Yankees Tuesday, tomorrow night. Uh, And this is a huge series because the Yankees are in first place, the Red Sox are in second place, and they're two games behind the Yankees. So um, this is a huge series for the Red Sox. And for the most part over the weekend, I, I did talk about the Red Sox Orioles and, and looked ahead to Red Sox Yankees. But uh, there was just, there's another story in this town that if, if look, if you're coming to this show to get an hour worth of discussion on the Boston Globe photographer that was not allowed into the Tom Brady charity event over the weekend, you know, Tom Brady has this charity event every year with best buddies where they have a charity football game and, um, you know, the Boston Globe wrote a hit piece on Tom Brady and Best Buddies a couple months ago, back in what, April, in which they basically portrayed Tom Brady's relationship with with Best Buddies to be some type of scam, and they basically portrayed Tom Brady to be some, you know, some type of fraud because of this, right? And well, as a result, a photographer, somebody that worked for the Boston Globe, This photographer was not allowed into the Tom Brady Best Buddies charity event this weekend. And um, some people worked up about this. I wasn't. I told you, I I had to respond to it on Saturday because the show before me was like, well, Danny Danny Picard's coming up next and he should talk about this because this is the biggest story. It wasn't the biggest story, one. Uh two, if you do want to talk about it, which we did, so you can't say I didn't talk about it because I did, and I took some of the phone calls that were lingering from the show before me. And my stance on it was this. I'm not surprised that they did not let someone from the Boston Globe into the event based on the hit piece that was written in the Boston Globe about the relationship between these two parties, Tom Brady and Best Buddies. I'm not surprised. Nobody should be surprised that someone from the Globe wasn't allowed into this event, okay? But once this person isn't allowed into the event from the Boston Globe, knowing what happened in April, the hit piece that was written about Brady and Best Buddies, knowing that we shouldn't be surprised, my reaction to it after it happens is also, all right, I'm not surprised, but also, I don't give a shit about it. Honestly, I don't care. It, it doesn't. This doesn't affect me or my life in any way, shape, or form. And if you're trying to tell me that I should be talking about a certain story on my show uh on the weekend where I get one weekend to go on do my thing and you're the Red Sox are in a huge series in Baltimore right and you're trying to say that I should be more focused on this story on uh, that a photographer from the Boston Globe wasn't allowed into a Tom Brady charity event who gives a shit and mainly who gives a shit about the Boston Globe photographer And you know what? It's unfair to this photographer, sure, because they didn't write the story as far as, you know, they weren't a part of that as far as I know. And um, it's unfair to that photographer. But guess what? That that person, that guy, whoever it was, they went to an event the next day and probably covered it. And it's fine. The Globe still probably paid him for the event, right? Here's where this would be a story. This would be a story if... You told me that Tom Brady then also banned this photographer and banned the Boston Globe from covering the New England Patriots when the season begins. If, if Tom Brady banned someone from the Globe from covering his Wednesday press conference at Gillette Stadium, then that's a fucking story. Uh, anything other than that? Who do you, honestly are you? Is anybody should anybody be surprised that they wouldn't let someone from the Globe into this? How would you be surprised at this? It's a and, and, and also, regardless of how you feel, do you really feel, regardless of how you feel about the story that's written about Brady and Best Buddies, do you really feel bad for the photographer who gives a shit? I don't know this photographer. It's not going it to, doesn't do anything to my life. What? I'm supposed to walk around every day feeling bad for people that can't get into certain events? Give me a fucking break. I'm supposed to walk around feeling bad for people who can't, you know, aren't allowed to do their job in a certain way? At least he's got a fucking job, right? It's not like the Globe, it's not like the Globe fight him because he couldn't get in. Then we got a story. I mean, come on, this, who gives a shit about this? I don't, and I'm not going to spend any more time talking about it. Though. You're going to get a lot of people that will in this town. To, to me, it's, it, it's a non story. It's not a surprise that they didn't let someone from the Globe into this event because the Globe wrote a hit piece on him two months ago. It's not a surprise. I'd be doing the same thing if I were Brady and best buddies. And I know there was an apology later saying, an apology from best buddies saying that Tom Brady was not involved in not letting this photographer into the event. Uh, please. I, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. We weren't born yesterday. I'm, I'm going to take that and think that's just some type of public, public relations situation where you know, some people were coming down on Brady and and it's something they should have expected. You know what? This was probably part of the plan. They said, well, we'll not let someone in from the globe. And then the next day we'll apologize and say it has nothing to do with Tom Brady. You mean to tell me they weren't pissed off at that story written in the globe two months ago? They were. And if you were Tom Brady or you were someone involved in Best Buddies, you'd be pissed off too because they're raising millions and millions of dollars to that charity. And, and for people who don't live in the real world, they see some money maybe that Tom Brady raised being sprinkled into some of Tom Brady's other charitable organizations, and they're getting all worked up about it. First of all, you're trying to worry about other people's money. But if you, here's, here's the deal. If you're putting money into Best Buddies or Tom Brady's charity for Best Buddies, then if you read the Globe story and you didn't want to do that anymore, then, then, then don't get money. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to tell you how you can spend your money. Um But I'm going to guarantee you that these events, the Globe story, and also the photographer that wasn't led into the event, I'm going to guarantee you that these things are not going to prevent people from continuing to give money uh, to a great cause. So (laughs) it's just, you got some people that are not living in the real world that have zero street smarts whatsoever and have no idea how these things are run in which... All right, was some money going to Tom Brady's charity? Sure. But it's either going to his charities that way or Brady's going to see some money. Either the money's going to him and then Brady's giving them out to his charities. Um, This is how these things work. This is not new. And Tom Brady's not the only person that's involved in this type of, do you want to call it a contract or relationship? Whatever. It doesn't matter. People are worked up that a photographer from the Boston Globe did not get allowed into a charity event over the weekend. That photographer works for a company that just crushed the event and the people running it. And you're surprised that they didn't let someone in? I'm not surprised. And at the end of the day I don't care if they didn't get in. It doesn't bother me. And I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm not sitting there trying to say, oh Brady best buddies, they're they're bad people. (laughs) Shut the fuck up if you believe that. You sound like an idiot, man, but that's, you know, that's not what I'm going to do on this show. And nobody, who cares? Nobody should, nobody should care. I don't care about that globe photographer. I don't know him. I don't care if he gets fired today. I could care less. That's not going to, that's not going to affect me in any way. So who cares? Let's move on. You know what I'm going to do right now today? Here's what I'm going to talk about. I got the NBA finals. I got the Red Sox. Again, doing that thing, two games out of first place. These are big stories in the sports world. This is what I do. I cover the sports world, all right? Um, I don't cover the job of photographers for certain outlets that I don't give a shit about. I don't give a shit about any photographer in any, in any place. Because what are they doing for me? They're not doing shit for me. No. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck them. I don't care about them. I don't care about that photographer. I honestly don't. Who cares? Let's move on. God. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, NBA Finals. Let's get into it, right? NBA Finals last night. Game two. Golden State wins it. 132 to 113. Okay? So far, when I watched this series, um, the first game was, well, look, Cleveland the first game. They turned the ball over 20 times, and it was just... It was Golden State in their own building in game one. They were just, the Golden State was not going to be beat in that game. But game two, I told you going in, with the spread being eight and a half, take the points because I expect Golden State to win a close one. And and this was obviously not close, as I just told you. 132 to 113. Golden State wins game two and has a two games to none series lead in the NBA Finals. And uh, game two, the story of game two was, I I thought, another simple analysis, which, again, if you're watching a series, I, I think you should feel the same way. Golden State can hit shots from anywhere on the outside, and Cleveland can't, right? I mean, it's fairly obvious. You know, the first half, and for most of this game, it just seemed like a pretty hectic game, didn't it? Like, Just nonstop, back and forth, up and down. All right, it can be exciting, but at times a little overwhelming and a little too sloppy because of that. Um, But Golden State, you know, when they really want to settle things down and just shoot from anywhere and hit from anywhere, in their building, guys like Kevin Durant hitting four three-pointers, Steph Curry hitting four three-pointers, Klay Thompson hitting four three-pointers, Draymond Green hitting three three three-pointers, I mean, when when they're hitting shots from all over the place, you just they can't be beat, right? It's impossible to beat them unless you can somehow match that. And as good as a shooter as Kevin Love is, he only had two three-pointers last night. He was two for seven from the three-point line. And as good as LeBron James is, he only hit one three-pointer, even though LeBron James had a triple-double with 29 points, 14 assists, and 11 rebounds. Um, Kyrie Irving only hit two three-pointers. The Cavaliers, last night, it was just fairly obvious in a simple analysis, is that they cannot shoot from the outside the way Golden State can shoot. You know what? Nobody in the league can shoot from the outside the way Golden State can shoot. And you see this type of performance from Golden State last night where they are hitting from all over the place, from deep, you know, and you think to yourself, how are you going to beat that? How can you beat that? And the answer really is you can't, right? The answer is you can't. Kevin Durant last night, uh, he had 33 points, a game high 33. Steph Curry had 32 points. And, um, you know, we're asking ourselves, how is Golden State going to be beat? Not just this season, but who's going to beat them next season? Because again, you watch them, and this isn't new. I mean, we all we've all watched Steph Curry be able to hit ridiculous shots. Klay Thompson hit ridiculous shots, but now they got Kevin Durant. He's playing like, you know, one of the best, probably the best player in the world right now. And uh he's hitting sh- deep shots as well. I mean, how do you keep up with that? And how can you beat a team that's hitting those shots? The answer is simple. You can't. You know, this is a seven-game series, though, and you're going to get a couple of games now going back to Cleveland. And, you know, you're going to get a lot of people out there, national analysts, you know, local analysts. They're going to tell you that Golden State, they're going to sweep or win it in five because of the way the first two games went down and because of the question we just answered, which was, can, any, can anybody beat Golden State when they're shooting this way? The answer is no. Um, but and I think we're talking about can they be beat in a seven-game series? Can they be beat in a single game? Well, I say yes because I think there might be a game or two where perhaps some of these shots are not falling for them. They're going to fall more often than not. But you know, I think Cleveland. When it goes back to Cleveland, there's certainly a different dynamic. At least we see that in the NBA when a team is playing at home. Things will go a little bit differently for them. And, and the way I've envisioned this series from the beginning, before it started, was that this was going to be one of those home court advantage series where, you know, Golden State would take care of their business at home. It would go to Cleveland. They would take care of their business at home. And this thing would go seven. And I'll, I'll give game seven to Golden State because they're in their own building. And I would expect them to hit all the big shots from all over the court in that game seven at home. Um, So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is going to be some type of sweep. I, I do think that Cleveland, when they get back in their own building, you know, it, it's it's going to look a little differently to the point where Cleveland's going to have a shot to win some games that are close at home. I honestly believe that. But um, Golden State's still going to win the championship. And some people are even asking, who's going to stop them from winning next year's championship, maybe the year after that? You know, I, I think the question becomes, well, is Kevin Durant going to opt out? And if he, like, if Kevin Durant wins a championship right now, is he going to choose to go somewhere else? I, I mean, I don't see why he would. I, I wouldn't put my money on that. But that, those are questions that people are asking. Like, how can you break up? How can how can you beat Golden State? The only way to do it in the next couple of years will seemingly be to break them up somehow, which means that someone's going to have to leave. I just don't see anybody leaving. So I don't know who's going to beat him. But uh, if anybody is going to have a chance to take a series back to their own building and maybe make it somewhat interesting, it is going to be a team that's led by LeBron James. And so that's why I think that Cleveland, when they do come home for game number three, uh, which is going to be, what, Wednesday night, the Warriors are a three-and-a-half-point favorite in Cleveland. So Cleveland's a dog at home, and uh, LeBron is frustrated. Because he's also getting stupid questions asked to him after the game. Like, what was the question that was asked? The audio out there, it's great. The 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 question was, you know, do you think you have to come back and defend home court? And LeBron said, do, "Well, do you consider yourself a, a smart guy?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, I think so." And LeBron said, "Okay, then if you're a smart guy, you should know that, you know, what happens if we don't defend home court?" The guy and, and the reporter said, "Well, you get swept." And LeBron said, "There you go." So. That's a stupid question, (laughs) which it was. It was a stupid question. Obviously, they have to defend home court. Um, And I think that they'll defend it a little bit better than maybe some of the national analysts are going to be saying they will the next couple days leading into this Game 3 on Wednesday night. So, uh, you know what? If I had to put my money on something, I'd put my money on Cleveland taking this. So, I wouldn't even take the points. I'd take... They're a dog at home, three and a half point dog at home game three. I'd take Cleveland money line to win the game. I would. And uh, I, I guess I'd be, here's what I'd be banking on. I'd be banking on obviously the home cooking for Cleveland, but I'd also be banking on Golden State having a night in which they're on a road in a hostile environment and maybe some of their shots that they take from all over the court are not falling for them, right? And, you know, let's be honest. if If Golden State, has a night in which maybe a lot of these shots are not falling for them and they do turn the ball over, let's say, what, 15, 20 times on the road, Golden State's probably not going to win that game against LeBron James in his own building. So I'm just, I I, I think this one will get evened out a little bit more than it looks right now in games three and four, but especially game three. I'm taking Cleveland to win game three. That's the way I think it's going to go down Wednesday night. So uh, whatever happens there, I'm going to react to it. But I thought game one in Golden State, you know, you can't go on the road against that Golden State team and turn the ball over 20 times. That's what Cleveland did. As a road team, you're never going to win that game, especially against that Golden State team. That's what Cleveland did. That was the difference in game one, I thought. In game two, I thought it was simple. Golden State, it was going to be one of these nights at home where they are shooting and hitting from all over the place. And they have the the shooters that can do it. and that they showed you when they're shooting like that and they're hitting shots like that, especially in their own building, they could actually turn the ball over as many times as they want and they're not going to get beat, especially on the other end when Kevin Love only hits two three-pointers, LeBron James only hits one three-pointer, Irving only hits two. That's five three-pointers combined for those three guys. And uh, J.R. Smith didn't hit any three-pointers. He was 0 for 2 and it's you're not going to win that game. So Golden State leads the NBA Finals two games to none. I'm expecting Cleveland, though, to come back and win game number three. And uh, real quick, stick with the NBA. Some Celtics news. Markel Fultz is in Boston today, and he will work out for the Celtics tomorrow at their practice facility. Uh, I, get, I guess I'm wondering, why not do it at the Garden? They wouldn't do it at the garden? they do it at the, at the practice facility? Uh, I, that, that's a little strange to me. Maybe, obviously, maybe there's some some other things they want to do there. Work them out, I guess, in the gym outside of just the basketball court. Uh, facilities, things in that facility that they don't have in the garden. But, I don't know. I just feel like maybe they'd open up the TD Garden for them. And, you know what, maybe they bring them in there today, and we don't know about it. I have no idea. But, either way, it doesn't matter where they do it at the end of the day. Markel Fultz is in town they're saying, you know, all reports say that this is the guy that the Celtics are going to take. No, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about mock drafts. I say reports, I mean mock drafts, because there actually was a report over the weekend that had a couple NBA GMs saying that Josh Jackson was the best player in this draft, and that gets me thinking because I'm somebody that, if you've listened to the show, you know. I've been very high on Josh Jackson throughout most of the college basketball season. And even lately, I told you, maybe it's because I've seen Josh Jackson more than I saw Markel Fultz play. But the amount of times I saw Josh Jackson, I was thoroughly impressed to the point where I'm watching him going, I want to see him in a Celtics uniform. And so it makes you think, it makes you wonder. At any point, is Josh Jackson, when he, get, when he gets brought in to work out with Boston, which I assume they're going to do, at any point, are we starting to maybe look at him as being the potential number one overall pick? I don't know. I don't know. But I tell you this, that's not a crazy story to me. That's not a crazy report hearing that NBA GMs think Josh Jackson or some NBA GMs think Josh Jackson is the best player in his draft because there have been times where I've thought the same thing. I'm a big Josh Jackson fan. Uh, you might want to chalk that up to, hey, you know what? I've seen Josh Jackson more than I've seen Markel Fultz. And and this isn't used to be a knock on Markel Fultz. I think it's just, here's what I saw from Josh Jackson. Here's what I loved about him. You know, he's a shooting forward that is someone who has, you know, length, he's reach, he's athletic. He's, it seems like every Kansas game that I watched, He was somehow jumping into the lane, stealing a pass, forcing a fast break. He was hitting his shots. He was playing defense. Um, I I loved his game. I just, he brought the type of energy that I looked at him and said, all right, this is the type of guy you should want if you're the Celtics. And so we'll see. But I just thought that report was interesting that, that some NBA GMs thought Josh Jackson was the best available player in this year's NBA draft. Either way, Markel Fultz, is in Boston the next couple of days. Uh, but moving on from basketball, uh, before I get into the Red Sox, before I get into some baseball, the Stanley Cup Finals, they continue. As I told you, Nashville wins Game 3 in Nashville. They take advantage of some home cooking. Penguins still lead this series two games to one. And I know it was rocking in Nashville for that Game 3. But, and I know Game 4 is still in Nashville. And that game four is going to be tonight, I think. Right? Yeah, tonight. Monday night in Nashville. I think the Penguins are going to blow them out tonight. That's what I, think's gonna I, I think is going to happen. I told you Nashville would win game three. But I think the Penguins are going to whoop them tonight. That's what I think is going to happen. And then I think the Penguins will win a close one at home Thursday night. Game five will be Thursday night. And I think the cup is going to be in the building for the Penguins to win, up 3-1, Thursday night, Game 5 in Pitt. And I think Pittsburgh will win it, win a close one, and win this series in five. That's the way I see this thing playing out. So, uh, Penguins lead the series, lead the Stanley Cup Finals, two games to one over Nashville. If the Nashville won Game 3, Game 4 is tonight on this Monday night in Nashville. Game 5 will be Thursday night in Pittsburgh. And, yes, I do believe the Cup will be in the building for that, for Pittsburgh to win, and I think they'll win it. Uh... Meanwhile, back in Nashville, as, as this series continues with the Predators being the home team, it's a party atmosphere, and there's video of Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan involved in a bar fight, and all I could think of as I'm watching this video, I, I don't see any real punches thrown, but it looks like Rob Ryan's trying to get at someone, Rex Ryan, sort of in the background, gets pushed by, <laughs> Rex Ryan gets pushed by some guy? And I'm surprised Rex Ryan didn't just clock this dude. I didn't see any punches thrown unless I've seen a video that isn't the full length video. The video that I've seen just pushing and shoving. Looks like Rob Ryan's trying to get to someone. I kind of feel like if Rob Ryan wanted to get to this guy, he could. Or I kind of feel like if Rex Ryan wanted to hit this guy, he could. But all I can think of when I'm watching Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan in this altercation at this Nashville bar. Well, first of all, I'm like, you know, what are they even doing? Like, what's going on? Right? Like what? Where, where's their head at? Do they do they honestly not think during the Stanley Cup finals they're out getting shit faced at a bar that cameras are not gonna be on them? Like what are they thinking? Are they just not very smart? Are they are they not bright guys? I know we don't like Rex Ryan. Um Rob Ryan seems like a goof, a big goof. But as much as maybe here in New England we don't like those guys, I, I still you have to be, you have to have some type of intelligence where you got to (laughs) know, the cameras are going to be on you. What are you doing? Like, what is going on? Why are you even out in that environment taking part in this to the point where you're even going to let yourself, you're even going to let yourself be involved in something like this. I, I don't know. It just seemed a little, a little foolish to me. like, you want to go out and have a good time? Fine. I'm not saying you can't. But it didn't seem like they were really trying to hide from the spotlight. You know what I'm saying? Like I just feel like most people who are big names like that and, uh, you know, involved in the NFL or professional sport, a major professional sport in some way, shape, or form, they usually try to do things where, you know, they're not, Sitting at the open window at the biggest bar you like you know what I mean It just didn't seem like they were trying to avoid any of any of the any media coverage that could possibly be coming their way, and I just think it seems pretty stupid on their part but the the only thing I can think of is they're trying to get at this guy or in this altercation in this bar in Nashville. All I can think of is they would be a perfect tag team in the w w e would they not They'd be a perfect tag WWE tag team. And so I tweeted out today, said it, how is Vince McMahon not signed Rob and Rex Ryan yet? The perfect. Now, maybe if they were a little bit younger, it would work out a little bit better for WWE, but I think they'd be great on the mic. I think they would be great, you know, just personalities in the squared circle. They'd probably have a great entrance. I don't know if the fans would love him or hate him, but there would be a, a reaction that would get them over either way. I think the Robin Rex Ryan tag team is, it's a, it's a perfect situation for WWE, no? I, it's kind of the only thing I think of when I see this. It almost looks fake. It almost looks like, <laughs> like a predetermined altercation, doesn't it? It almost looks like they're trying out for the WWE, like they wanted this out there to get to Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and Vince McMahon, and they want part of the sports entertainment industry. That's what they want. They want to be. They want to be involved in next year's WrestleMania. It just seems like that's what they want. Um, that's all I can think of when I'm watching it. But next time they go out partying in Nashville, they might want to just find a spot that. Isn't going to be right because it's right in front of like an open window, right? Like right on the main street. I I don't know. It it seemed a little foolish, but uh, all I could think of was that they would be perfect in the WWE. So moving on from that, moving on from the Stanley Cup finals, uh, I I think the biggest story here in this town in Boston this weekend was with the Red Sox and um, the four game series that they had with the Orioles in which they split this four game series and they lose the first two. Red Sox lose the first two. Thursday night they lost. Then they lost Friday night. Eduardo Rodriguez got hurt Thursday night. He's been placed on the DL. That's something we need to keep our eye out for because Rodriguez, before he went down, was arguably the best pitcher on this team outside of Chris Sale. That was before he went down, and obviously before David Price got back uh, to pitching the way he pitched Saturday night. I'll get to that. So you lose Rodriguez Thursday night after Thursday night's game. He let up four home runs, but obviously, as I told you on the last podcast on Friday, right after that game, I said something's wrong. He slipped in the in the bullpen before the game, and then he goes out and lets up four home runs in a season in which he's been having a great season, coming into his own. To me, I told you it was clear that he injured himself and he pitched in. He pitched injured in that game. Come to find out. He's put on the DL with an knee injury. So he was pitching injured. So I got that one right. Um, Friday night, Rick Porcello lets up a couple home runs. He didn't get much offense. And you lose a game to the Orioles. And you lose the first two of this series. And the heat was starting to come down once again on John Farrell for a couple different reasons. The biggest being that he wasn't changing the lineup at all. And Andrew Benatendi was someone who's been struggling at the plate going into Saturday's game. But Saturday night, they had David Price on the mound making his second start of the season. And they were going up against what? Dylan Bundy, a righty, and, and Ben this season. had He had some success against Bundy. wasn't crazy success, but he had a couple hits against him. Bundy, a right-handed pitcher. Ben a left-handed hitter. So Farrell kept him in the lineup, kept him in the number two spot. And um Attendee had a hit. Saturday night, but that wasn't a story. The story of that came with the Red Sox winning Saturday night was David Price and the outing that he gave, in which he had me looking at that, shaking my head, going, Yep, that's it. That's the David Price you want. That's the David Price this team thought they were getting. That's the David Price this team needs. You know, that was the biggest game of the season to that point on Saturday night. You're in a, a playoff race. The Yankees are in first place. You're battling for second place with the Orioles. You lost the first two games of this four-game series in Baltimore. You lose Rodriguez to injury. You got an offense that has Pedroya on the DL that doesn't have David Ortiz walking back through that door and that has some of the young kids struggling big time like Andrew Benatendi in a bad slump, as bad of a slump as there is as you could have in this league. And this group that didn't really, you know, isn't deep enough, outside of all those other things, to, to be replacing Ben Attendee with anything special if you were to take him out of the lineup, right? They needed someone to step up on the mound and give them a dominant performance. So this was a huge start for the Red Sox with David Price on the mound, not just for the team and the organization, but also Price himself, who's coming back from injury who led up the three-run home run on Memorial Day in his season debut, went five innings. It wasn't a great start, but it was good enough to the point where, you know what? He didn't get lit up completely. He was throwing in the mid-90s, and as long as he can command that fastball in the mid-90s, Price is someone who's going to have success in this league because he's had a ton of success already in his lengthy MLB career. At 31 years old, David Price looks to be healthy. It's time for Price to step it up. And I was on the radio Saturday telling Everybody, this is what I expect. I expect Price, if he's healthy, which he is, to come out and dominate. Because the team needs him. And it's time to start living up to that $30 million a year that y'all getting paid. And you know what David Price did on Saturday night in Baltimore? He gave you seven plus innings, only allowed one run on a solo home run to Manny Machado in the seventh. Walked only one guy. Struck out seven through 92 pitches. David Price gets the win, and he was great. He was great. And it's exactly what the Red Sox needed in a game in which they won it five to two. They won the game five two. It was a great performance from David Price. It was much needed. And it goes back to my podcast earlier last week and even my column that I wrote last week in which I said the the significance of David Price's return to this Red Sox team and this Red Sox rotation cannot be overstated. It's huge. Okay? It's huge. Because if you can get Price pitching like the the way he did Saturday night, if you can get him pitching like that to go along with Chris Sale and his dominance, that is maybe the most dangerous one-two punch in all of Major League Baseball. It is. In all of Major League Baseball. So, it's great to see David Price come out and have that type of start and prove to everybody that he's throwing consistently in the mid-90s. He is capable of having a big year, even though he missed the first two months of the season with some soreness in his elbow. But I think this just goes to show you that the organization handled this thing the right way. Did they not? They handled it the right way. They didn't rush him back. They slowly ramped it up to a point where they wanted to make sure he wasn't sore at all. And now he misses the first two months. Here he is in the month of June, dominating against an Orioles team that... It's right there in the playoff race with you, and it was the biggest game of the season to that point. You win it. Now you roll it over to Sunday. You have a chance to split this four-game series where after the first two, it didn't look too good. Chris Sale goes out. He let up three runs in the first inning because he got some terrible defense. Sale probably should have got out of that inning unscathed, letting up zero runs. But Pablo Sandoval with some more terrible defense, and it hurt the Red Sox, and it ends up, you give the Orioles extra outs, It ends up being three Orioles runs in the first. That's all they would get. And Andrew Benatendi's big day at the plate. Two home runs on Sunday. He went three for four with three RBIs, three runs scored, and two home runs. Benatendi busts out of this slump with a big day. And he was in the lineup, hitting second in the lineup. And it is just one of the multiple moves that John Farrell made that worked out for the Red Sox this weekend. So. With the Red Sox splitting this four-game series with the Orioles in Baltimore this weekend, here are the main storylines here, and here are the main takeaways that I have. One, David Price's return, and his return to be able to pitch like this, is going to be huge for this team, especially where they lose Eduardo Rodriguez to injury. Two, it is time, and I've said this several times this season, it is time to start giving... John Farrell, the manager of the Red Sox, some credit. Okay? Because when he makes some moves that, and I said this last night on Red Sox Review on WEI, when Farrell makes moves that don't work out, that aren't even necessarily his fault, is just basically a guy not being able to produce or or a guy not being able to come through in a spot where he should come through, people put that on Farrell. When he makes moves that don't work out, it is obnoxiously loud in this town, the criticism for Farrell where they want him fired or they want him gone. But yet when he does things that help this team and it wasn't just keeping Ben Attendee and trusting in Ben Attendee and sticking with Ben Attendee in that two spot in the lineup through Sunday, it wasn't just that it was also Saturday night when price was on the mound. When you get into the eighth inning and Joe Kelly looks like he's going to completely collapse and John Farrell, Couldn't have been quicker to run out to that mound and take Joe Kelly out of that game and put in Craig Kimbrell, right? John Farrell puts in Kimbrell for the four-out save, and Kimbrell struggled in the ninth after getting a strikeout in the eighth, but still, he ends up getting the job done and gets his 16th save. Farrell couldn't have ran out to that mound quicker to get Joe Kelly and yank him from that game to put in Craig Kimbrell for the four-out save, and I thought it was great, and it worked out for him. So you got that. And you got with him sticking with Ben Because a lot of people were crushing Farrell for sticking with Ben Attendee, But he stuck with him. And it worked out for the Red Sox yesterday in a 7-3 win over the Orioles. And they split this series. And now they are only two games back from the Yankees who lost Sunday, who lost yesterday to Toronto. And now you have a three-game series with the Yankees in the Bronx beginning tomorrow night, Tuesday night. So um, I, I, the takeaways, great start from David Price. That's huge for this Red Sox team and it's going to be huge. And John Farrell, it's time to start giving this guy some credit because, uh, you know, and, and I'm not even saying that you need to praise him to the point where you say, well, they're only in this spot because of him. I'm not saying that. I never will say that about any manager or coach at any level in any sport. But for all the obnoxiously loud criticism that I hear, thrown John Farrell's way when he makes moves that don't work out for this team. It's just, it's it's laughably quiet when he makes moves that do work out. Laughably quiet. Crickets, for crying out loud, when he makes moves that work out. So, do I need to be, or continue to be, I guess you could say, the the voice for John Farrell? The voice of the John Farrell supporters? And I don't even go out to try and be a John Farrell supporter every day, as you know. It's just that it's turned into it because of all the people that just go out of their way to criticize him for things that I don't think are actually his fault. So uh, I, think, I think John Farrell deserves, deserves some credit in this town for where the Red Sox stand at the moment. Drew Pomeranz will be on the mound Tuesday night against the Yankees. You'll have Pomeranz, Porcello, and Price. And um, Pomeranz has been pitching great ever since that altercation he had with John Farrell in Oakland a couple weeks ago. He's had two wins in which he went six innings against Texas and allowed only two runs while striking out 11. And then he had a win in Chicago against the White Sox in which he pitched seven innings, allowed only one run, and struck out eight and didn't walk anyone. Pomeranz... Has a 4.24 ERA this season. He's 5-3 and three with a 4.24 ERA. But had a little injury scare there. And here he is now, pitching great. And here's what I'm going to say. If Pomeranz goes out and and continues to be very good against the Yankees on Tuesday night, if you're the Red Sox, I would be so quick to trade in Drew Pomeranz, so quick to see what is out there for him before he either gets hurt or before he comes back down to earth. We talk about trade value all the time in professional sports where teams need to make moves. People are talking about the Red Sox need a third baseman or they need another bat. And if Eduardo Rodriguez, if this injury turns into something where he can't come back from and you never know, perhaps they need another pitcher. If Thornburg or Carson Smith can't come back, they're going to need some bullpen help. All I'm telling you is this. Pomeranz was an all-star last year, whether you liked him or not. He was, and right now, he's pitching like an all-star, to be honest, but I don't want to put my money on Drew Pomeranz continuing to pitch like this the rest of the season, so if there is some serious trade value for him moving forward, like if he comes out Tuesday night in the Bronx and and gives you 10 strikeouts, seven innings, one run, and gets another win, his sixth win of the season, uh, you know, I'm telling you right now, if there's anybody that I would look at this team and think, all right, team needs to add something else, needs to add a bat, sell someone high, Drew Pomerantz is the guy. And, and I wouldn't hesitate for one second because you never know what's going to happen the next start. Um, the, the, the resume, the sample size for this guy's success at this level is just not big enough for me to sit there and go, he is guaranteed to pitch like this the rest of the way. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. And, in fact, that altercation he had with John Farrell still is something that sits in the back of my head where I'm not going to forget about that. And I don't think the organization should either. When we talk about character, when we talk about, you know, what type of guy do you actually have? He's 28 years old. He turns 29 in November. Uh, There have been multiple little injury scares with him right now. And coming from the injury report in that trade with the Padres, right? Right? Where where the Red Sox could have rescinded that trade and gone back on that, and they chose not to. So, Pomeranz has not been the most healthy guy in the league. He has not been the most consistent guy in this league. But if he consistently strings together dominant outings here, and you think that you need some type of trade value to either bring in another bat or, who knows, bring in another reliever, I would not hesitate for one second to... Test the waters of a Drew Pomerantz trade, especially, especially given the fact that David Price is returning. Now, I'm not telling you that this Red Sox team shouldn't go out and try to add more pitching. I told you, I think at the trade deadline, they should absolutely go after more pitching when it comes to even the rotation. And if Sonny Gray's name is going to be out there, I want the Red Sox to be involved. But maybe you could get creative and make multiple deals. And who knows? Maybe you can get a pretty good prospect for Pomeranz that you then can flip at the deadline with a couple other prospects to get that other pitcher. Or if you want to use Pomeranz to get a bat somehow and get a third baseman, a bat at third base. Maybe that's the way you do it. I'm just telling you the true Pomeranz, just because he's having some consistent success right now. That uh, doesn't necessarily make him untouchable. And in fact, I see the success that he's having, and I think to myself, hurry up and, and trade him while the trade val- trade value is hot with Drew Pomeranz. But that's what the Red Sox stand. They have a huge series with the Yankees beginning Tuesday night, and Pomeranz will be on the mound for that. So um, that's what we got in Major League Baseball. You had seven grand slams on Saturday around the league. How crazy is that? Seven grand slams around the league, including Albert Pujols' career home run number 600 was a grand slam, right? And then you had Edison Volquez from Miami throw a no-hitter, which was obviously an emotional moment for him, Uh, dedicating that to Yodano Ventura and Jose Fernandez, the two young pitchers who died recently. So, uh... You know, that was tragic stuff right there. An emotional moment for Edison Volquez. Throws the no-hitter. What, he strike out the side in the ninth to throw that no-hitter? So, a somewhat wild weekend in Major League Baseball, but I'll be looking ahead to this Red Sox-Yankees series. It's it's close. Yankees have a two-game lead in the AL East, so this is huge. This is as big as it gets for Major League Baseball in the month of June in a 162 game series so I will be reacting to that on the next podcast later this week on Thursday and I will also react to what's going on in the NBA finals and the Stanley Cup finals in the meantime you can get this show and go back and get previous shows whenever you want at dannypicard.com. also available on iTunes subscribe and download today also on Google Play Tune in, stitch it, anywhere podcasts are available. Also on the Podcast One network. Get their app today and get my show on their app and on their new website. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. I am out. I'll talk to you on Thursday.